1: welcome to the midlife pilot podcast it's a podcast all about flying and aviation and learning to fly at the later stage of life and uh my name is chris moran i'm the midlife pilot on youtube and this is episode 23 of the podcast that we're recording live with our youtube friends tonight as we do every other wednesday night the topic tonight is uh kind of an interesting one i think we're going to talk about flying with other pilots and the um the challenges or the benefits or the maybe risks even that are associated with that that you might not have thought of before and joining me is the better looking more musically talented uh sidekick co-host Brian Siskind Then he's on music row hi brian
0: hey what's going on uh and by the way you know I, just for the record when i when you flew an airplane with me in the uh, right seat. I was not nervous at all. Well, good. I was terrified. No, I was, it was, no, I, was I was not nervous at all. So, um, you know, that's that's a thing. But hey, man, how's it going? Uh, it's good to be here. And I'm super excited to uh, be, I mean, gosh, to, you know, episode 23, 23, we've been kind of just keeping at it. And I got to say that, the, you know, I don't like to talk numbers here, you know, but I will say that we've been steadily um, growing and what's been really cool to see is that as new people come into it they go back through the audio podcast back catalog and 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 start digging through it and so there's something kind of exponential that kind of starts to happen there and it's it's starting to kind of get another level of traction so we yes. owe everybody here a big thanks for sharing it out and for being in the chat and you know all that and the only thing I take issue is you said uh that this is the podcast for Uh, Those of us later in life, like, I think it's midlife. It's just midlife later in life feels a little, you know, desperate. That's fair. That's fair. So I just want to put that out there.
1: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's completely fair. And, uh, (laughs) I'll take that. I'll take that. You know, we were, um, like We don't like to talk about numbers, and we don't generally, but just the other day, I do have to share this. Um, first of all, I need to apologize for those of you joining us here on Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern for the recording that could see the video and watching this online. I apologize for my um, background. Now that Brian has pointed out to me in the pre-show the fact that I'm off-centered in this room the unsymmetry of the lines and the unalignment is making me crazy. So uh, I'm in a new location tonight, temporary location. Won't be here again, but it's um, it is making me absolutely crazy. I may just hold my laptop like this the entire night.
0: Yeah, it's like it's like the vacuum system on your side has a little bit of an issue. <laughs>
1: exactly. So so, but you mentioned we don't talk about numbers and we don't do it very often. Uh, but the other night we were actually talking about. Um, YouTube metrics. And I just wanted to point out, we were comparing the demographic break, break breakdown of like viewers <laughs> of our YouTube channels. And I pointed out that my YouTube subscriber channel literally represents one. It's one, it says 100% male. <laughs> and what was yours? It was like, there was at least I want to like, say it was
0: like 80, 80, 20 or 90, 10 or something. I said, it's because you've got this, like, you've got the look, you have got like the glowing <laughs> so hair ridiculous. and like, the
1: glasses and like, you're uh, like, the, um, there, there's something at least that is uh, appealing to the finer. Uh, oh, sex. Gosh. And I'm like, I'm hundred percent male. I own it. It's, it's what it is. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty funny. I yeah. Thought.
0: I, well, you know, we, we don't play the, um, uh, the thumbnail game very well. Uh, I don't think with either of our channels, yours are actually tighter than mine, but um, maybe I should do some shirtless thumbnails or something. We'll, 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 I'll, I'll think about it.
1: Yeah. I would give it a shot. Yeah. So what's up you? I know, have you been flying? I know you, uh, you had a pretty, I was following you on social media at Siskind uh, and I followed your cool adventure um, last week, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really great. It was, you know, it's one of those things I was telling somebody yesterday, uh, a friend of mine who's in training still, I was telling her about the trip as a sort of a measure of encouragement because that trip, it was, it was just fine. It was, it, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't stressful. Um, you know, I mean, there were a few decisions I had to make, but nothing crazy. I was very lucky to have good weather tailwinds both ways. Um, and all that. But I mean, I think what really stood out to me was a couple of things. One, was just um, it became clear to me how much more comfortable I've I've become. I've got about I don't know two hundred and five hours now, and you know I'm still on the top of Mount Stupid basically. But I mean, he, I, I just I just really felt just comfortable, you know. On a, you know, did three hour legs, and you know, it was just it was fine. It just wasn't any big deal, and and so it was. What doesn't mean I was complacent or not you know, concerned about where I might land at certain times or things like that. But it was a great trip. I went back home to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, my hometown uh, here from Nashville. And, um, and it was, I was, it was a surprise visit to, to surprise my mom. And, uh, you know, I figured out sort of the unpredictability of flight planning and weather and airplane issues and all that. You got to sort of play that into your hand. And so now, So before I did a trip where it was just I'm just going to go whichever direction the weather's best. Mm -hmm. Then this trip was uh, uh, all about uh, nobody knows that I'm even coming, so I don't have to. Because I feel like there's an extra burden of like reporting to people, and I've landed, and okay, I'm at the you know I don't know. Just there's just something about not having anybody really, you know, my wife knew where I was or whatever, but you know what I mean. Like my mom wasn't you know nervous for what I was doing or. Or whatever, so like that was that was a nice thing, and I I totally surprised her. And the last thing I'll say about it was uh, that airport, Smith Reynolds Airport. uh, It's K I N T. um, That is the last airport that I flew at with my dad in the early nineties, and so um, bringing his flight bag, you know, with me back to that airport felt pretty full circle. I am kind of making a piece about that right now, but anyway, so um, it was a great trip. Nothing remarkable happened, which is great. It was just a solid use of having a private pilot license to go uh on a family oriented trip or you know to go surprise some family and it was awesome great that's very cool very cool yeah
1: i've um i've actually uh, flown a few times since the last podcast i the video that just released last week about uh, with Cecilia and the 150 and the, f- the emergency maneuvers prepping for my uh, flight review, which I have my first flight review uh, coming up this Friday. So in two days um, with a CFI, I'm super looking forward to it. We are we've we went round and round about this we are I'm not recording it after all. Yeah. Um, But we we thought about making a flight review video and then decided not to. We may do it after the official flight review, like, mega flip i'm super excited to fly with uh a cfi in our club a young cfi named victoria and uh it's going to be pretty exciting not my cfi that i trained with which um we just couldn't work it out schedule wise so it should be pretty exciting to get up with her i've not got to fly with her yet she's in our flying club uh great should be a good time and then i actually took a student pilot friend of mine from our flying club up in the 235 uh to go to lunch in parkersburg west virginia um this last weekend as well this past weekend and it was a short flight about half hour each way and that was his first time in anything but the 172 that he's been training in so yeah. that was that was pretty cool for him to get to go along and kind of experience that hey,
0: so so by the way um it's not known to be a sure thing yet uh in terms of my commitment but uh there's an offer <laughs> for me to get into a situation where there's a uh, there's, there's a school here that's kind of inventing a little bit of a new model, I think for rentals, which I think really makes sense. Um, and it's essentially getting a small group of people four group of people, uh, a group of four people to commit to a quarterly kind of prepaid hour situation and then just share it among those four people. Um, and, uh, so then everybody has the freedom to travel and to go places and, Uh, All that you know, so I don't know if it's going to happen yet or not. But uh, Adam's also uh, been investigating, and he's saying, "Don't count that chicken." I don't want (laughs) to curse anything, but it's just a neat. I guess it's just a neat point of conversation, just to say that uh, it's neat to see owners and schools and clubs trying to find areas to work in that are serving the needs of, I think, of people that are kind of in that middle territory, like like uh, you know where I am. So that might that might be a thing. If it is a thing, it'd it'd be an Archer too. Um, and so that would be, uh, uh, another type of airplane. I do have a checkout flight and another 172 um, tomorrow morning early. And it's going to be, uh, it's dual G fives and, uh, you know, the fancy Garmin autopilot and all those things. So that'll be kind of like, um, I don't know. I feel like I've been driving like an MGB, you know, or something. I I guess (laughs) everybody here is old enough to know what an MGB is, but, um, anyway so uh it might be cool to you know you know fly some a little bit more teched out plans you know and and different plans and i'm looking forward to to doing that so we'll we'll see we'll see what happens and uh well i'm a
1: big believer in the club model as everybody knows in fact i'm another side note i'm thinking about uh thinking about starting a consultancy honestly like a, a building a package that i can give to other people of like the model of how i think they yeah. should work yeah i've only got one under my belt but it's um it's doing very very well uh and um, it's the one that we have here in fairmont we're at th- you know we're at 36 members now and three airplanes and uh it is just um it's wild it's wild the things that are happening here so uh i think i have a lot of lessons i learned stuff i would do differently if i had to start over but uh I think I'm thinking about doing that. We might actually we may actually talk about doing an episode about flying clubs. I think that would be a fact. Absolutely.
0: Now let's know. do that next then. Um, and yeah, there's also um, there's the uh, Lebanon. Uh, it's spelled Lebanon, but they call it Leb Lebanon, Lebanon here. Right, right. Lebanon Flying Club, which is a you know a, a you know older, very established, proper sort of uh, club, capped at 36 members. I think it is, um, and it's about a two year wait. Uh, to get in there. So, you know, it's just a tough thing, right? It's like, you know, I was talking to my friend, like I said, who was training and she's in the middle of this and, you know, it's hard to tell people, you know, you're going to have a whole other <laughs> you know, sort of battle uh, is just figuring out how, what planes you're going to fly, where, how, under what, you know, because you want to start taking trips and things and you can't really take your flight school plane. So then you got to look for clubs, but there's not really a lot of options. It's just a bunch of stuff. So anyway, But, um, but yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll get, I think we should definitely, uh, get, get some of your learnings down from that. Uh, and I'm interested to learn more about that as well.
1: Stinky, uh, uh, in the chat, stinky weasel one is here he's talking with some folks. He's in the flying club with us. He's actually, he's what he's not telling everyone. He's also one of the owners of one of the airplanes (laughs) that the club leases from him. So, uh, Uh, yeah, he's pretty intimately involved, um, with the club as well. He's been a big supporter of the uh, podcast since we started. So neat. For that yeah. Well, so, speaking of other pilots, I flew yeah. with that guy the other day, a student pilot the other day. We just had a little offline conversation about this the other day, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Like, I started thinking about how many other pilots that I have even flown with um, since I've been a pilot, and really, that's it's a pretty small number. I've went up with a few of our club members on very various, various flights, once or twice, but it's a small number. And, uh, I gotta be completely honest that when I am not flying the airplane with other pilots, um, I'm a wreck, I'm a nervous wreck. It makes me incredibly
0: nervous when you're flying with other pilots or when you're not. Yeah. Oh yeah. When, when I'm are. not the pilot flying
1: when I'm with oh, other
0: pilots. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, and so, well, and I, I can't wait to get more into this. By the way, you see Josh has a comment down here. He says, uh, it sounds weird, but. Uh, with over 200 hours, he's never once flown with another pilot who wasn't a CFI or a DPE, wow. um, or in his case, uh, God knows from the FAA or whatever else. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So um, so you know, one of the things that prompted this was uh, Adam, who's in the chat right now. Uh, he and I uh, did a flight last weekend, and we've you know flown together a couple times, maybe two or three times. Um, and you know, we're more or less in sort of the same location, same school same you know we did all a lot of the same things so um he had to take a little bit of a break because he had uh created another human that apparently needs some sort of uh maintenance um so uh but he's kind of getting back in the flow and all that and he was thinking like let's do some uh some simulated instrument time uh and rent one of the flight school planes and go do that so cool so we go to do that and the attitude indicator is kind of sagging and It was just like, all right, maybe we'll just go for a a bounce around flight. We went to, went, went to Tullahoma, uh, and, and, and then just kind of landed and hung out there for a minute and came back. And it it is funny. I was telling him, you know, I was telling him, uh, uh, if, if you put both of our heads together, we're a really good pilot, (laughs) you know, it's like nobody's got it all. Um, but But there is, you know, and I think that Adam, you might have, he's in here somewhere. He might have said something along the lines of like, um, uh, kind of like, was I nervous or, you know, or, 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 you know, something, you know. Um, And so there is something about that. Uh, I think that where it starts is uh, to be constructive about the conversation and the things that I've thought about and the things that I've learned. Um, I have definitely... Uh, been sort of not made fun of, but it's been pointed out, uh, that in several of my videos, I have a, um, uh, kind of a, a lecture, a pilot lecture, <laughs> this, you know, when I'm flying with another pilot, which is just to say, and this is even with student pilots, but it's just basically to say, um, I have no ego. If you see anything that you don't like, let me know, you know, try, I try to just open that up right away. It's not the time to be, uh, touchy feely with, people about their feelings or, or whatever if you see something you don't like you should be able to say it and have everybody not have a problem with that and just be you know positive about it so there's that um and then also like one thing i told uh one thing i told adam was uh um but i think it was yeah like we were talking about like sort of briefing the takeoff or whatever and i said you're the pilot in command obviously right i am not But here's the deal. If we lose an engine, if we have loss of thrust on takeoff, and I don't see the nose going down in split seconds, a split second, like if I don't see that as being the first response within microseconds, I'm going to push the nose down. (laughs) Yeah, But but that's really just kind of my way of just sort of getting us both in that mindset of if we have a loss of thrust, we're going to put the nose down. Uh, and then just being thorough about briefing the plan and all that. So I don't think it would ever come to something like that. But, you know, people's instincts are weird. You know, I've, I've seen, you know, people have accidents and things where they're like, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. I briefed it, but just my instincts were not that. And I, I turned more than I should have. I was only at, you know, 600 AGL or something. And I lost power and I, I went for a field that I shouldn't have gone for. That was outside of you know, my sort of straight ahead, kind of fifteen degrees either way, thirty degrees max, whatever it is. And I didn't get the nose down, and I was resisting, uh, and so that just really got me thinking about, you know, uh, all that. So anyway, uh, but you know, flying with Adam is great. Uh, I've I've flown with uh, student pilots. Uh, you know, I haven't flown with a ton of pilots, um, but I do agree with you, Chris. It's like uh, when you're in the right seat and you're just kind of. Watching someone else. I mean, at least you have all the controls. It's not like a car. Like you have a teenager that's learning how to drive or has learned how to drive. I can't imagine. Like that's got to be. There's not two steering wheels. <laughs> it's horrifying. Yeah, let's just let's, let's talk about that for a minute. It's horrifying.
1: Well, <laughs> no, that's no, that's not. That's horrifying. <laughs> In fact, uh, we have a we have a driver's test on uh, we have a driver's test on Tuesday. So that's it. Officially. <laughs> all right. Yes. Now that's been. Uh, That's been horrifying. There's no way to take control over there. So, yeah. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, yeah. So you know, I've mentioned this here before, but just real quick, the thing that really set this off. I've mentioned it to a lot of people, but it just it stuck with me, and I want to keep sharing it out. But uh, when that one pilot, you know, told me when I asked him for one kernel of wisdom, if he had anything to say for a new pilot, what would he say? And the first thing he said to me was, "There's nothing more dangerous than a plane full of pilots," and so you know, it really comes down to doing the opposite of whatever it, people, when you have a, especially when there's more than two pilots, right. It's even more distributed sort of all, oh, I'm sure they've got it covered or they're thinking about that. I, you know, so it's a weird mix of too many cooks and then not enough at the right. same time. And you have to have some sort of, I don't know, way of, I think people just need a conference ahead of time and really know, um, that it's okay to speak up and and to check things.
1: I think one of the hidden dangers, I think one of the hidden dangers is that, especially when you're flying with a more experienced pilot, I think is to think like, well, if anything goes weird, they've got it. And I think that, um, I think that if you pre-designate and have your briefing and you've established who's the PIC, then be the PIC, like all the way through. Like, you know, I, I think that's, That's the risk for me. And most of my, honestly, and I'm thinking through all the times I've flown with more experienced people and, you know, like it's generally been my instructors or some of the other people that I've been around who are instructors, who I just always, I think I always say, I think we've even briefed that in the pre-flight. Like even as when, after I was a private where we left somewhere and it was like, but if like poop hits the fan, um, I'm going to give the airplane to you, like, yeah. you know, yeah. because you've got six times the time that yeah. I have and have been in these situations and I'll help with the supporting tasks all around the emergency checklist. I'll do the other thing, but you can fly the plane. Like, you know, you can become, we'll just hand that control immediately over. Like you're the authority now. Uh, but I think, it, like everything else, are so many other things in aviation, it really comes down to communication and planning, and just having a plan and then sticking to it. I think,
0: <clears throat> yeah, like this this line from uh, Stinky Weasel: "If it's everyone's responsibility, it's no one's." I mean, it is like it's it's just this. Um, <clears throat> it's a fine line, um, you know. I, I think too that um, everybody has their sort of strengths and weaknesses, and sometimes. We all you know we're all at different levels we all have different you know capabilities or we're better at certain things perhaps than others. Um, and it's a fine line because as a CF if you're a CFI, you are um, allowing you, you already have a structure that you've learned that is built to then allow a student to make mistakes within a certain safe threshold so that they can actually, materially you know experientially learn these things and you know i think that there's some microcosm of that as well you know i I think there's a it's kind of like you don't want to be the guy in the right seat calling out you can be a distraction by saying hey what about this what about that you know and it's maybe just your sequence or your order is different or maybe just your speed and the pace in which you you know do your i don't know your run up or whatever it is you're just a different, you have a different flow. And so you can easily jump in too quickly and interrupt someone's rhythm, even though, yes, they're, they're, they still need to do that task or check this thing. Give it, you know, give it a second also. And and if you're not PIC, you know, trust in in what's going on. And then if you see something you don't like, say it at the at the right time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, one example I can think of, you know, it's also like a funny thing, you know, it's, I, I, I kind of felt bad, uh, later. This is another thing with my flight with Adam. Uh, he may have left the chat by now cause I've brought up his name so many times. Um, <laughs> uh, but we were flying and so he had all of his, um, you know, cameras and all these things hooked up, um, which is funny cause I had my cameras and I, I wasn't really concerned with using them. I just wanted to, you know, so he has like his next video, whatever he makes, will have like. A ten camera. It'll take him two years to put it together. But anyway, <laughs> he had this camera that was sort of right in front of my view a little bit, um, and it had overheated already. And um and then as we were starting the takeoff roll, he was saying something about like, "Can you check that camera?" You know. And this is not a slight to Adam. It wasn't like he was, you know, distracted. Yeah, right. But my response was, "I, I don't care about the camera," <laughs> you know, like that or something like that. You know, just like whatever just, you know, it was, I didn't, so it's things like that, where it's like, I don't want him to feel like, oh, you know, I'm being like a, a, a jerk about it. I'm just sort of saying (laughs) that's, I'm not, I'm not doing that. (laughs) So it's a lot of little things. It's like, it's like, there's a lot of this interstitial space, right. To consider in interpersonal relations with people that I think nobody really talks about when it's pilots with other pilots.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Um, someone mentioned a minute ago, I think, I think there are different dynamics, you know, with, was with, with like, um, you're flying with other pilots who are in a similar stage of their, uh, experience like you and Adam perhaps, or like I have a completely different experience. Like when I flew with one of our student pilot club members the other day, it hasn't soloed, um, Like at a completely different stage, it was just kind of like in the two thirty-five for the first time. So he was just eyes wide open. So I was able to do what I do most of the time when I'm in the airplane anyway, which was just like, it was all me. And I'm just saying what I'm doing and like showing him cool stuff. And like, this is how we do things in this plane. And I'm like, get on the rudders with me. Like we did a lot of that too. Like I'm not, I've gotten way past that. Like we were also on our takeoff row where I'm like, Hey, put your feet on these rudders feel how much right rudder this plane needs when you take off. You're like, oh my God, why is my foot all the way to the floor? You know, it's like so Mm. much of that happens. So that's with, you know, with a younger person. So I would say my attention, I mean, I'm a lot more comfortable in that context. Um, And then you get with the more experienced folks. And I have done very little of that in a non-training environment, um, you know, where I'm already relying on the person I'm flying with to kind of be the, the mentor or the you know the experienced kind of voice in the uh in the airplane um and then we you know i did one other flight i've only done one flight so far uh where i've been building hood time that was kind of an interesting experience too where i went with another club member who's instrument rated um he's a great pilot he's working on actually he's got a cfi check right in a week from today um And so that was kind of a fun thing too, to have a safety pilot. Like that was my first experience with that, where I was like, he was in the right seat and I would put the hood on, you know, and now I'm like, I'm totally trusting this dude to like, not let me hit anything or any other airplane or like, he's the, he's the eyeballs outside. Um, and so that was a kind of a different experience. Now the key difference with him is like, I trust him. Like I've flown enough. He's probably flown with him probably more than anybody else. And I trust him, exclusive like uh, without question uh it's a whole different kind of level there where i felt i never feel weird flying with him at any point in fact he did the landing we got into parkersburg we were on a pilots and paul's flight we had like an aggressive corgi in a crate in the seat behind us in the 172 and we were racing a storm into uh parkersburg but i mean like we beat it by minutes um and we were trying to get in there before the thing and we flew an instrument approach and it took 15 minutes longer than we thought and like uh like we're coming around and he's like um i flew the approach as far as i could and he's like i want to do the landing i said okay it's your plane so he's in the right seat and did it and like at that point if, i couldn't get to my camera fast enough like i'm whipping my phone out like trying to like video stuff and completely from the time i said your flight controls and he took over i was able to completely check out of like yeah responsibility of the airplane entirely. And just, you know, those are fun. When you find people that you can fly with like that, that you, you know, you really just trust their instinct the hunt. You've seen enough, you trust it, and um, can really have some fun with that then. Well, um, well
0: maybe if, if we can come up with this, uh you know, it looks like we've got some momentum towards a potential fly-in actually here in Nashville. Uh, details are getting worked out and things are getting sort of um, – a little warmer or closer to actually sort of being solidified. Uh, Thanks everybody for uh, pushing that along in, in my uh, uh, in our sort of discord server situation over through my Patreon thing, which by the way, I feel like I should just open up, but anyway, another story anyway. um, But um, maybe what we can do as part of this uh, potential fly in situation would be, I think we take the, the most experienced pilot that's there, which will be the sage. Mm-hmm. And then we just put him in the right seat and just have all these cameras just filming him. And then we all get to take him up. Uh, and he has to, and it, you know, he has to be the one who's dealing with all these low hour pilots from the right seat and seeing, you know, like sort of how much, <laughs> how much it'll take before he breaks.
1: All right. <laughs> I mean, in his in his in his airplane, his three hundred horsepower one eighty two. I mean, I'm game for that. Do I oh, get a, no. do yeah. I the left seat and fly the one eighty two? I mean,
0: oh geez. I'll do that. His plane, his plane. He should just yeah. He could he could just charge for rides in it. It's so it's it's basically like um, it's like an FBO couch in his plane.
1: The seat. Yeah. The seats are like, like the, the, (laughs) yeah, the uh, the, like the fluffy, what do you call it? Like the, like the fluffy seat stuff is like, it's like this thick, like you sit in it and it's like, you disappear. It's like, yeah,
0: Yeah, it's like a, it's like a 1975 Cadillac. It's so, it's so nice. Um, And Ben's in here saying I'll, I'll probably learn something from everyone else. Of course, he's going to say that be, be diplomatic. Of course you would say that uh, what you will learn from flying. Yeah. No, I, I I would love to, 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 uh, I would love to, it's gotta happen. We gotta, we gotta get, I would love to fly Ben around in some garbage plane that I rent. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so if anybody, by the way, has any, um, questions or things, uh, we'll pull them up on the screen here and and try to get them in they'll make the audio podcast that way as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, so so at the end of the day, I do think that um, it, there's definitely there definitely can be dangers, but ultimately, it's always going to be a strength. It's a it's a you know it's a it's about having CRM and knowing how to leverage the 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 people on the plane with you to to be cooperative in the right way. And you know, I think it it really puts a, a better uh, emphasis on on briefing and having things declared and understood. Uh, beforehand, and I think that in our kind of midlife general aviation world, where we're not learning ATP type protocols for these things, and you know, all that, you know, I think it's important to try to uh, have those things straight in in whatever way we, we possibly can.
1: Um, Let's jump to some comments that are uh, in our uh, comments here tonight. If you're listening to this on the audio version, a reminder that we record this live every other Wednesday night at eight o'clock Eastern uh, seven central, if you're in the greater music road, Nashville area. Um, (laughs) And uh, we'd love to have you join up on the midlife pilot uh, YouTube uh, channel and join us in the comments. We uh, drive a lot of our stuff uh, of our content from here. Our, our buddy, Josh, um, who is near and dear to me, I mean, literally, physically, geographically, um, was able to knock out that instrument, recheck today. He is now an instrument-rated pilot after uh, uh, quite a story, uh, which, you know, maybe if you join us in the Siskin Discord somewhere or on Brian's Patreon or somewhere, we would love to talk about his uh, story of his instrument check ride.
0: You know, I was thinking, I would love to have him on the podcast to talk about it, but I wasn't sure how diplomatically or politically that works. You know what I mean? Like whether, whether talking about, I don't know to what extent that's, I don't know. So we should have
1: that conversation at a time that is not right now. And oh, oh, uh,
0: let's talk about it right now. We we
1: can figure that out and then tell everyone about it on (laughs) the, uh, on Uh, the, uh, uh,
0: congratulations, man. That's, that's that's wow. That's a lot.
1: Um, I'm scrolling through the stuff here. Um, we have a couple of new. I've seen some people uh, new fa- I think. I mean, Kyle may have been here before, but Kyle just said, "Hey, he's uh, owns a landscape company in Melbourne. He listens to you guys while while he's di- dying in the Florida heat. <laughs> it keeps me occupied, and I love the content. I always trying to learn something new. So we appreciate.
0: Oh, that's awesome. You. It's nice to know that people associate uh, uh, our program with suffering."
1: He also, uh, he was one of, I saw his comment earlier. Would like to learn more about kind of the flight club, um, the flying yeah. club, uh, how that works and how it started and how that all went down. So, uh, I thought that might be kind of interesting. Um, did, did, uh, a friend from the midlife pilot fly and says just arriving to the podcast tonight. I find it stressful to fly with other pilots, especially uh, seasoned ones. Yeah. I it, yeah. I, I find it stressful to fly with. Most pilots just, that's a yeah, control I mean, it, for me, it's I think. Kind
0: of a, yeah, right. It's kind of a bummer that that's the case, you know, but it, but it really is. And, and I think you, you don't get enough exposure to the stylistic differences of how people fly. Even the same yeah. airplane in the same places. There's for just sure. a different kind of feel and flow that people have. And, and people have been trained slightly different to do different things
1: for sure which is kind of stinky weasel's point he says at 68 hours i love flying with other pilots i find myself taking it all in and watching what they do learning good and bad you know less kind of lessons all around and i bet you there is some of that like efficiencies in a flow check or someone does like you say this thing one way or another and it's um probably is some good stuff that comes out of that and some things you say like i don't ever want to get to that point or um
0: yeah there's something about the observation too that's just nice because even when somebody makes a mistake it's not the end of the world right it's just uh it's nice to especially when when you're you know you're learning at that you know low low hours you know the first 100 hours or whatever it is it's really nice to have somebody else make a mistake for once other than yourself
1: right exactly (laughs) Uh, lots to talk about there's a lot of folks talking about our local area um somehow we, we we've went down an Elkins West Virginia tangent here in the chat I'm finding a few minutes ago so I'm sc- kind of scrolling through that um hey
0: by the way what's the um uh your your last video with um the 150 um what did what did uh, Cecilia come up with as the name for the it's the uh oh. I mean the
1: the the power off one eighty is the uh oh maneuver. Uh <laughs> the maneuver. Like um, because I always say like, and we lost we you know we've lost our engine. Uh oh, and you know like that's the <laughs> kind of the play on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, we've got a new another. I think, I don't know that I've talked to Ron on the podcast before. Ron M said uh, he's enjoying the podcast and the YouTube channel. Ron's a student pilot in Colorado with about 19 hours. It's been fun watching Chris's transition from discovery flight to now. That's awesome. This is Ron, yeah. that's a perfect example of how I like I kind of thought the channel would go for people. Like to see the whole that's why I documented the whole process. Cause I it's been fun for me to kind of rewatch it as I went too. And um I do occasionally and Full disclosure, I do occasionally, it'll show up in my recommended feed of one of my other, my my actual YouTube channel that I, my YouTube account that I watch YouTube on and I'll see one of mine and uh, watch, you know, like the, um, the botch touch and go (laughs) episode or like one of those early ones and just think, man, oh man, what a difference, like what a difference a couple of years makes. Um,
0: And it's the thing is, it's not that long ago. No, it's not.
1: (laughs) It's It's so crazy
0: how how much happens (laughs) and how, how much you grow up. I mean, I don't, do you find yourself, um, envious Chris of people that are in that sort of pre solo phase?
1: Oh yeah. In the, in the sense that I, I wish I could go back and, um, (laughs) be some, do some things differently and like maybe skip the phase where I was scared to ever take off, you know, where I would not fly for a little while or, um, Kind of, because there is, it does kind of feel like it changes, doesn't it? After the solo, it's kind of like, um, I don't know, it becomes a lot more real. And then um, the solo is like the last, I mean, the check ride day is obviously huge, but this, the first solo moment is really kind of, for me, kind of the like, not the last magic moment, you know what I mean? It's like that big kind of like, ah, now yeah. it's, um, it's yeah, the, it's, yes, it's, it's, the, it's,
0: the, it's the Kool-Aid man coming through the wall of, Of your flight journey. (laughs) Exactly. The dated reference.
1: Um, One Dog Geek had a question. Have any of you ever taken a long trip with a friend who's a pilot but has zero experience in the airplane you're flying? How do you handle that? Just put him in the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to think. I have not.
0: I don't think I've ever actually taken a long trip with another pilot. I know you have, Chris. Like You've done... You've done some pretty long trips with other pilots, but.
1: Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, but he had experience in the plane about more than me, probably Uh, about the
0: same as me at the
1: time we went to Oshkosh and that was a massively long journey. Yeah, I would do that differently, too. It's part of my control problem, I should have let Cody fly more, probably like we should have split that up better than we did. Uh Um, Speaking of, that's one thing I would say when I fly with other people, I have a hard time even like you mentioned earlier, like saying the things that matter or saying them when like it's appropriate or maybe not saying the things that don't matter. I have a real hard time not trying to like tell people what I think they should do right now. Like, um, yeah. Set this thing or do this thing or like, do this or say this or, you know what I mean? And it's like, I don't need to tell everybody that all the time. Like um, it's a lot, there's a, there, there are black and white in flying. And there's also a massive amount of gray, you know, like everything else in life. There's uh, things are open for interpretation. And I, I need to do a better job when I'm with others of letting the gray be gray and um, not trying to define it. How I,
0: uh, and that's the cool thing about all of this is it, it any weakness that you have as a person Will be brought to the fore, um, in the process of learning how to fly or how to be a better pilot. You're you're just gonna have to reconcile with things that, may, especially in midlife, right? Like where they've they you've you've developed these personality traits that maybe are strengths in other areas of your career, you know, whatever. And then you you can't bring some of that stuff into this world, or you know, right. it's a funny it's a funny thing. Ron was asking how many hours do each of us have.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll tell you
0: Oh yeah. Let
1: Where's me just Mac let me just pull out my new iPhone 14 in purple. Oh jeez. Oh look at that. Um sorry that's a that's a jab at Brian for those of you watching. We have a iPhone versus Android um <laughs> and PC versus Mac. A PC versus Mac thing going. Uh I am at one hundred and ninety-five point five hours of total time.
0: So that's bonkers. I have I have passed you in hours. You've passed me. Yep. I got I have 205. But you've you know, again, people get really wound up about not wound up about people make a lot of the hours, especially in the early part of training. When did you solo and <laughs> all this, and everything is so environmentally uh, considered here it's it, you know I may have 205 hours but I'll tell you what most of my hours are I have probably I don't know hundred and maybe 110 or 100 something like that about 110 just cross-country hours so what is that in reality that is me you know 172 going straight for a long right. period of time it's not necessarily the most rich uh, experience you know for for the better part of that stuff not that the trips aren't a huge part of the growth and the learning but you've been flying a 150 you've been flying a Cherokee you've been flying a 172 you've been doing all these different things uh, I'm just now trying to break out of just 172 land and get into some other things so
1: alright I'll give you the breakdown if you want to hear it alright okay I have 115 hours in the Cessna 172 Seventy-one hours in a uh, in my two thirty-five, six hours in the one fifty, and three hours actually in a um, uh, Saratoga. Of that hundred and ninety-five point five hours, ninety-one of them uh, are cross-country hours. So I have ninety-one. Cross country hours out of 195. So the other 104 are
0: not. What about night hours?
1: Uh, This one's going to be embarrassing 7.3. That's about what
0: I have, I think. I've only done one night cross country and it was barely that. You know, it was a 52 mile (laughs) cross country. You know, it's like staying pretty close to home, just trying to make sure I could do it. Uh, Yeah. But Adam's asking if you have an instrument rating.
1: Well, that's sad. Uh, no, I do not. <laughs> I, I'm uh, I'm working on starting my. Um, I've been working on, wor- I've been working on working on it. Let's say that that's about the only way I. Uh, that's right. Uh, one dog geek is as a good question too. Are you only counting greater than fifty nautical miles as cross country? Yes, that's only greater. Than, I'm only law. Log- I I had that debate um, when I started measuring that in my logbook, and I decided to. I, you know, there's a whole, we could have a whole, honestly, if we wanted to have a whole podcast episode on logging time, uh, there's a whole, we could have debates and have people wanted to have like arguments and fist fights about all of those things. But I chose early on to log plus 50 and tag it as cross country and four flight. That was just how I chose to, um, how it's I chose. It's the
0: same as you did in training.
1: Yeah, and I kept it that way. I understand the difference. I mean, I understand the differences and why they're there for different rating purposes, for the purpose of different ratings. I figure if I have to break that out later, I'll, um, I have all the tools these days. I mean, it was a lot harder back in the day where you scribbled stuff down in the logbook, but like I, it would take me very little time to go back through and break out those differently later.
0: Uh, by the way, a side note, Adam's talking about Team Linux down there. I'm like, okay, that's, that is, I mean, I get it. You know, and here's the thing. Adam, if you were Team Linux, oh, pop open a terminal, type rm-rf. I, I do that all day at work. I don't need to. I don't and need then, to see. And then, uh, and just see, see what happens. No, I, that's the only thing I really remember is how to delete a lot of stuff. But anyway, right. so... Um,
1: I want to say hi to Jim Jim Cooper in the chat tonight from Indianapolis. We got another; uh, he's also a new um, podcast viewer tonight for us. Awesome. So it's nice to have you, Jim. Oh yeah, what and then tonight? there's Bonreir
0: Cardo, which is such a cool name.
1: It is a cool name. Cool name. I'm still scrolling through the chat here to see.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so there are various. Tech nerding and video nerding and other nerdings going on uh, in the uh, Discord that we've started that um that I need to figure out how to open up. So um, it really does keep a lot of these kind of conversations going, which has been which has been really cool. Um, in the meantime, uh, make sure you're on Chris's Patreon. What is it? Patreon.com/slash Midlife Pilot. Thank you. Yes.
1: Yeah. And also Brian's Patreon. Oh, is this where we talk about each other's Patreon and Brian's Patreon.com? Did we both throw money
0: into? Yeah. Slash, we,
1: we, yeah, it's funny. We we were patrons of each other. And yeah. so we just basically like, and we pay Patreon every time we do that, which is hilarious. The only person making any money off of our transaction is Patreon, <laughs> which is kind of <laughs> kind of funny when you think about it. Uh, what is it? Patreon.com slash. siskin Brian Siskind or just Siskind? Siskind. Just Siskind. Yeah. Um, Al Gibson has a question. Do flying clubs generally allow non-pilots to join to use club aircraft for training?
0: flying Um, clubs allow non-pilots to join to use club aircraft? Okay. So that is a, um, it's going to be club
1: specific. There are clubs that do allow training in their clubs and some that don't. Ours do. It's funny. The wording is very specific though. And I say this all the time. Our club is not a flight school. The club does not offer flight training. There's a really important distinction for why we have to set up that way, and that's because in the FAA's eyes and others, we we do not want to be viewed as a flight school for a lot of reasons. So what we are allowed to do is accept members who are not yet certificated pilots who may be trained by club-approved instructors, and then the student and the instructor work out their own deal for the instructor's time. The club has nothing in that. We just let you join as a member and rent the planes as a student pilot. And then the instructor teaches you, and that's a separate transaction. But that's about, that makes up about, I would say, I don't have the math in front of me, 30 to 30, 30 to 35% of our club's hours, maybe more than that, maybe 40 to 50 at this point, are um, our training hours.
0: Does that give you any hesitation with respect to just uh, the wear and tear that training puts on airplanes?
1: Um, you know, I would normally, I hear that a lot and I, you know, like, cause when I was training to be a pilot and stuff and it's like, you know, oh, student pilots beat up the planes. I've watched a lot. I'm at the airport a lot and I see our airplanes a lot. Um, and I don't see our airplanes being beat up. I think, I think that's kind of one of those old, kind of those old tales that comes from the shops. Like certainly like I would say an Embry-Riddle, like plane that's flying, like, 12 flights a day by 12 different people as jamming as fast as they can but we have a pretty it's almost familial like a you know a family type like it the folks that are in our club take care of our airplanes and our instructors take care of them and our students take care of them not sure there's occasional hard landings or a bounce landing shoot i have a hard landing or a bounce landing periodically but um it's um generally speaking our planes are pretty well taken care of and the stuff that we're dealing with on a maintenance standpoint is not related to wear and tear from students it's the normal stuff so no i don't see it i mean i just think we have a pretty good group of respectful people who do strive to take care of the airplanes all the time because there's a sense of ownership in them you know when you're in a club it's a little different than when you're yeah just out running from anonymous people so
0: I, i think it's a little different yeah there's some accountability there and just some family vibe. Yeah, I, I think um, – now, do you have uh, limitations on, say, like uh, in the Cherokee, do you ask people to not fill up the tanks?
1: Oh, yeah. So we have all kinds of – yeah, there's all kinds of things like that. So you can't train in all – so you can't train in the Cherokee. Uh, that's a rule. Um, that's ours and the insurance company. I mean, there's no, there are no primary, oh, so no flight. training at
0: all. Okay. good. No yeah. primary
1: flight training. You can do it. You can build a time for your commercial or do instrument training in it, but no primary training whatsoever in the Cherokee. Um, we keep the, we don't fill the tip tanks in the Cherokee, for instance, and we have fuel level that we were, you know, we keep the other two Cessnas fueled to, um, that are not full fuel because of our short Fairmont runway. Um, we need the extra you know, the, the less weight to get in and out of there. So we, uh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff like that.
0: Yeah. There's, uh, uh, was saying that he would like to pick your brain about this because he really would like to start a club where he is. Yeah, we should totally do that. Um, maybe you should write a book. Maybe Chris, do you think you should write a book? Isn't this like what people do at some point? They write a book. Uh, you know, I'm, you've been doing something for like a couple of years now. So I'm
1: trying. I'm trying. Exactly. I'm an expert. <laughs> no, I, uh, I. I'm trying to. I am trying to find a way to make this into some form of uh, of an enterprise. I mean, I feel yeah. like because here's the thing about clubs. Like, I don't want to. Well, we only have eight minutes left. But I'm only. I'm only going to talk about this for thirty seconds. I, the way our clubs are structured, and the way they have to be legally, there's a lot of clubs. Frankly, there are a lot of flying clubs around the country that um, that do not. Um, that are not doing this correctly and are breaking a lot of rules in terms of FAA requirements for what a, what a flying club is. yes, um, And also IRS rules for what a, a legitimate nonprofit social club uh, is. And we have been extremely um, careful to not break any of those rules at, at any level. Um, and so it's a little bit frustrating in that regard. We, we had a tremendous amount of support from AOPA, the flying clubs division when we started the club. And uh, in fact, I'm, I'm working on having drew one of their flying club guys coming in to talk to our group uh, next month at our group meeting um, to do kind of a talk and, and be here in, in person. But um, um, what was the question? Oh, I, I'm trying to take this into more of a, like, I would like to turn. So nobody in the club makes any money. That's part of the rule. Like none of us are getting paid. Nobody It's a hundred percent volunteer for the board members. And those of us who run the club it is a hundred percent volunteer. Um, I would like to take some of the knowledge that I've gained from probably the 20 to 30 hours a week of time that I put into operating this club and, um, consult other people on starting clubs yeah, and, and also like, you know, help people with that kind of stuff. We really, we luck, we got lucky in a lot of ways, but I think we made a lot of strategically good decisions early on. And we also are surrounded by great people, including bill. Um, I'm stinky weasel. Who's in the chat. Like who's also on the board of the club. Like we have a, we have a really solid core of people who make this thing, uh, work yeah. the way that it does. And it's not perfect. And we got stuff to figure out, but I do feel like we've got a model here that is pretty like, it, I think you could template this kind of model the way we started it and how it's structured. And like, and some of the formulas we use for deciding how much we pay our aircraft owners for their leases, for instance, there's like, a, there's a formula involved and in how we do it. And I think it's, I think it's repeatable uh, yeah. around the country. So, so uh,
0: I have a question. Um, can I enter the chat? Yes. Uh, uh, yes,
1: caller, go ahead.
0: Uh, go ahead. Go <laughs> um, this I don't know how to explain this question very well, but I'll try. So, flight clubs are generally based in a place, a single place, and then everything is headquartered out of the same place. Is there any sort of model or potential uh, for sort of a distributed flight club or some sort of network of? You know, what I mean, because if they're if they're airplanes, that they, couldn't you have like one be over here, one be over here, one be over here? I don't know. How does that sure. work? Sure, you could absolutely do it that way. Uh,
1: geographically, where your planes are isn't really almost franchisey. You know, you could almost you could almost branch off and have planes. we've talked. I mean, we have. I don't want to give everything. I mean, I don't want to announce <laughs> things here that our club doesn't know. But like, I mean, we have kicked around the idea of putting hangering an airplane regionally in other places um kind of around us um Mm -hmm. there is another um there is another there's a flying club uh north of us in um um waynesburg pennsylvania green county uh they're significantly smaller they have a couple airplanes um i talked to the folks there before i started this one because i was going to join it before i knew we were going to have a club Mm. um you know, there's so there are a handful of others, but you could totally move things around. I mean, you could you could have you could house one like you can have hangars in multiple airports. Lots of clubs do it. Cumberland, Maryland had one where they brought a plane out. It kind of swapped it out between there and um, an airport closer to us in the mountains, Garrett County. So, yeah, you could totally you could operate in other places. I don't think there's any any restriction to, to doing that. You'd have to get we'd have to look into the rules on like. Um, if I was a member in Fairmont, for instance, and I, well, I guess it wouldn't be a problem. And I traveled to this other place. There's no reason I couldn't just fly one of the planes that existed up there. But I, here's the real problem, Brian, like everything else in our, in our society that is driven by capitalism, which is, um, when you're actually doing this the right way and it is not a commercial enterprise, um, the incentive to do that becomes far less. Believe me, I looked at it when I started it. I wanted to make, a club. I was looking at a way that I could make a business for myself and like mm-hmm. enrich myself as part of the. You know, I was going to work on this thing to make money, um, and that's not a way to do that unless you are leasing a plane to a club. I mean, the only kind of return on your investment is if you are leasing an airplane to the club. So, um, I don't know. I think I think so much of it depends on needing people like engaged in the local area. I think these are probably, in my opinion, at this stage,
0: they're local things. Gotcha. So, um, then that, that removes my next question, which is, um, do you want to just keep the 235 down here? <laughs> uh,
1: no, but Brian for a thousand dollars, I will consult you on, uh, I'll consult you on, uh, how to start a flying club in Nashville. And give you all of my secrets and all of the forms and how we got our five oh one C seven with the IRF. Thing. I
0: think I think it'd be great if I if I did that. And then what I got was just sort of like a PDF that was just phone pictures of stuff you had done in crayon that was just, you know, one, find rich people. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, there's nobody in our group. I mean, you know, our group is not, well, anyway, there's a whole, uh, it's exciting. It is exciting <laughs> to see it grow. And I think there is opportunity to do them. And I, am an advocate for clubs in all seriousness, beyond the, like the oh, side yeah. of me that wants to try to do something to make a little bit of money from the experience that I have worked to learn, um, is Can that you, I just love yeah. the model. I just think it's yeah. the best way to get like a group of, um, you know, like-minded people that are trying to accomplish the same thing together to do a thing, and it's—I just think it's a great way to to well, do yeah, they, airplanes.
0: They say, uh, isn't the average ownership of an airplane five years, something like that? Yeah. And so, if if planes are often, if planes are turning over at the rate that is probably similar to that of what people would do with cars, you know, car leasing or you know, whatever that kind of thing, um, outside of just I don't know I guess it just seems like yeah a distributed model um where you get to benefit from the community you get to fly different airplanes have different better airplanes for different missions that you have you get to be a better pilot you get to have the right plane for the right thing you're doing uh and you get the you know the the community out of it and everything else it does seem like an exponential gain yeah um and so I think I'd like to start a flying club um if anybody uh has airplanes uh, let me know. There you go. And then I'll talk well, to Chris.
1: If anyone is seriously interested in this topic beyond what we have covered here, I think uh, Wednesday, October 5th, I hope you can join us at 8 p.m. Eastern on this very channel for uh, episode yeah. 24 of the Midlife Pilot podcast, all about flying clubs.
0: No, I think it's great. I think we've kind of organically come to this and we've we've been circling around this a lot, too, as well. So it's not a new topic for us, but it's also one that we haven't gone into fully. Uh, in one doll geeks in here saying, uh, I have a podcast exclusively dedicated to flying clubs. Um, I, you know, yeah. Or, you know, what we do,
1: I'll say, I'll, I'll do this. I'll say like, and if you, uh, we'll make a patrons only podcast, uh, Immediately recorded immediately following this one called uh, Midlife Podcast Midlife Flying Club Podcast and no we're, we're not going to do that but. <laughs> and
0: for for 99, <laughs> exactly you'll get a five for page the, PDF that'll change your life <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh man well um well that's that's a, we're I guess at about an hour now um I want to make sure that people uh, continue to leave reviews. Uh, That really does well for us on the Apple side, especially the Apple podcast, but anywhere where you see a chance to press things that help things uh, through any medium or channel, please do all of those things or share it out or try to get other people to, you know, listen so that we can uh, start the most epic flight club of all time.
1: There you go. Oh, man, that's an idea. Wait, wait, will (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> lots of, i got two weeks to think about it let me process you know, you
0: know like most most of the worst ideas of anything that's ever happened has been like a couple of dudes at a bar and and it's like <laughs> dude you know what we should do like yeah. that's that's how 90 percent of failed enterprises i think start is with the words dude you know what we should do so as long as we don't say that i think we're all right yeah for sure
1: well thank you for uh podcasting with me tonight brian as always and yeah man uh, thank you to everyone in the chat it was great to meet all of our new folks who came in tonight for the first time i hope you enjoyed it and i hope you have got a chance to catch up on some of our previous episodes like the last one episode 22 with uh socal flying monkey which is one of my uh, favorites so far of the of the series so looking forward to talking about flying clubs next week i could talk about it for hours and um and you will I, and well, just one because that is the podcast. But yes, I'll be the dumb
0: question it. guy, you be the expert. I
1: can't wait for next time. I love it. I will shave and I will not be in this crooked room the next time we record. <laughs> All right. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Midlife Pilot Podcast and we'll see you real soon.